You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 213. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. Great to be back with you again this week. We have a busy show. I will kick it off with a look at this week's past earnings release from data warehouse management company Snowflake Inc., symbol SNOW on the New York Stock Exchange, which dropped nearly 20% on Thursday as the company lowered its guidance or growth outlook for the remainder of the fiscal year. I will tie the company into the idea of buying growth at any price and how this has worked out over the past five years for market darling Kathy Wood's ARC Innovation Fund. Aaron will highlight the recent results from AI market darling NVIDIA, Corporation symbol NVDA on the NASDAQ, and whether or not last week's surge is justified. Brett will touch on the promotion of options trading as a get-rich-quick scheme for retail investors. Last and certainly least, Brennan answers a viewer question on Marvel Technologies, Inc., symbol MRVL on the NASDAQ, which provides data infrastructure semiconductor solutions spanning the data center core to network edge. The stock has surged year-to-date despite posting a drop in revenues in its latest period. Is the increase justified or just based on AI hype? Brennan will let you know. All right, let's get to the show. Got my co-host here, Aaron, and the killer bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Horrible. Good weekend. You bet. Yeah, well, I had... um, my daughter's uh, uh, dance recital, so that was thrilling. Nice. Uh, I watched four, about 41 individual dances on uh, Saturday and about 28 on, uh, on uh, Sunday. So that was my weekend. It was good times, good times. No, it was good. It was good to see that they put in so much effort into it all the year and to see that culminate in their performances. And we had everything from uh, like five-year-old performances which are super cute to up to like uh, the graduating class, like 18 year olds, which were uh, some of them were actually pretty awesome. So mm-hmm. it was really cool to see. Good yeah, to see. I'm well versed uh, with dance recitals because, because I'm Because you tap. did them. Yeah. Yes. I'm in, just kidding. No, this is a joke. Uh, but my sister, hey, she, she was uh, always, uh, always at dance recitals. And, you know, my parents would always bring me along because they made her suffer through my hockey games. Um, but yeah, yes, no, it, which it, would have been it, painful. It's kind of a fun hangout. I, I enjoyed it, at least as a kid. I'm sure she, you know, your well, daughter. There's a lot of girls there, Brennan. Friends. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. You should have yeah. been in dance. I don't know why more dudes don't use that as a strategy. I mean, literally in the whole thing, there was three or four guys and it was all girls. It, it really is still female dominated. I, it, you know, hopefully guys can get into it. I mean, it's 
I, it's it's a, it's super great exercise. I mean, that's why my totally. daughter's in it, right? Like, I mean, it's she's in there four times a week. I mean, it's just it keeps them super fed. And you know, that strategy it, must be why my dad chose figure skating, I guess, because he's he didn't kept him super mom. fed. Well, right, your dad was a figure uh, skater. He was he was high level, wasn't he? He was all right. Hey, I mean, we we played a clip of him on there. Like, he looked um, awesome. International. No, well, I mean, he did go to a, a like it was. High Falls, Montana, I think, you know, for okay. uh, several years in a row. I yeah. don't know if he actually placed, but uh, he skated there. Um, well, that was the first time you saw him actually in that clip, was yeah. it not? Yeah. And, and I mean, it it kind of blew you away. I mean, he looked he, anybody. If you never skated when you were alive, like after you were born? Not really. I mean, we skated together, but he had hockey skates on and he mm-hmm. would just you know, do That's like a, do like a little 360 twirl. Yeah. Or... A little twirl, but it, you know, it wasn't like what he was doing back then. You know, my dad, no. you know, if you're listening, dad, I'm sorry, but you know, my dad's put on some pounds over the hey. years. That's Ooh, enough. That's enough. <laughs> That's enough. I'm sorry. He's still, you know, he's still fit. I don't know if your dad's listening, but we'll definitely he can still beat me in a golf game. So, you know, That's all he needs to golf. be able to do. Plus, now he's going to take you down the next time he sees you because you're saying yeah, words. an airing of the grievances yeah. next time. Yeah, Brennan's okay. making fun of his dad for gaining a couple I'm... pounds, and it's like he had to give <laughs> up skating so he could raise you. Yes. That's why he gained yeah. the weight. The sacrifice. Spending yeah, his time taking you to hockey instead of st- skating himself. Ungrateful yeah. SOB right here, I guess. <laughs> That's true. <Okay. laughs> no, you guys have a good relationship. That's good. So you guys do anything else this weekend or should we get to the show? Cause no one cares. I don't think anybody really cares to you guys. They, they care about your life, Aaron. Just yours, Aaron. My life. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well we're going to, speaking of your life, you have a cat named snowflake and I am going to I start do, talking about topical snowflake. for me. And you've been called a bit of a snowflake. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so many times. Yeah. You, you realize you can't use that anymore. We're, we're going to have to cut that out. <laughs> Keep it in. Can you not use that anymore? I don't know. I'm sure. I, you, I, I don't know what you can or can't use. As long as I'm talking about. Depends you. on what we're talking. Well, about. I'm sure I'm good. Keep it in. Yeah, I think Keep we're good. In. Okay. So to th- this week, I'm going to talk a little about Snowflake. Uh, disappointed in terms of their outlook going forward. Growth at any price and tying in Kathy Woods' arc fund. So let's start with Snowflake. Uh, price. almost a $50 billion market cap. Last week, the news dropped and the stock dropped nearly 20% after the company lowered its fiscal 2024 guidance. Now, what does the company do? It's always good to have an idea of what this company does. They are a provider of cloud-based data warehouse solutions. Its services comprise of data warehouse modernization, analytics, data exchange, and engineering, data science, and others. Now, the company has a strong track record of growth, as we can see here. Revenues, since it's been a public company, have surged from $96.7 million in 2019 to $2.25 billion over the last 12 months. That is a remarkable growth rate. And gross profit has also had a massive surge over the same period, from 44.9 million to 1.48 billion over the past 12 months. Cash flows from operations is also increasing, which is a good thing to see there, from a loss in 2019 to 660 million in terms of operating cash flow 
over the last 12 months. All of these things are good, but price is what you pay for the stock and value is what you get. So what is the value of the stock? Let's look at a couple of ratios currently on uh, Snowflake. Now it's price to sales is 22.8. It's price to operating cash flow right now is 72. Price to gap earnings, well, there's no gap earnings, so it's negative. There's no trailing gap earnings on the stock. Similarly, there is no uh, trailing EBITDA, so it's EV to EBITDA is negative. Now, let's compare this to some of its what I'd call quasi-peers. Uh, we'll use a price-to-sales metric here. As, like I said, there's no gap earnings, and cash flow really is just emerging to better levels. So Snowflake trades at a price-to-sales in the range right now of 23 well, uh, this is close to all-time lows for the stock. It is significantly higher than its largest you know, quasi-competitors in Amazon's AWS and Microsoft's Azure. Uh, multiple of 25 or 23 times sales. Um, despite, despite the drop in the stock, that 20% drop in the stock. And it just gives the company little room for error. And we saw this play out in real time for the stock when it reported strong growth over this past week, but not to the incredible level of the prior periods and a slowing growth rate going forward. So the stock then dropped 20%. Uh, and again, we'll look at the numbers that the company put out over the past uh, week. Q1 2024 numbers saw revenue up 48%. So that's very strong revenue growth compared to the first quarter of fiscal 2023. That re represents, however, a slowdown from uh, fiscal 2023 when revenues grew at 69%. Uh, if we see here too, non-GAAP earnings came in at 54 million. That was up from a loss of 2 million in the same period uh, a year ago. Uh, that's pointing in the right direction, but stock-based compensation costs still led to a loss on a GAAP basis. And we've talked about Snowflake in the past in terms of its high stock-based compensation. But despite the 48% increase in Q1 earnings, uh, the growth rate declined from, an, or sorry, in revenues, the growth rate declined from 69%. The company guided for the year at $2.6 in terms of product revenue. That would be a yearly increase of around 34%. Now, in most cases, 34% growth in terms of revenues is a great number. But when you're trading at, at the time of the release, nearly 30 times sales, over 80 times operating cash flow, there is no room for error. Now, perhaps Snowflake is the next unicorn, meaning uh, 10 to 20 years from now, we'll look back at Snowflake and we'll say it's had the same sustainable growth levels of, say, Microsoft, Amazon, or the alphabets of the world. But the trouble with predicting it will be a unicorn is that basically by definition, there's basically no way to find these unicorns. My main point is constructing a portfolio based on finding the next true disruptor or unicorn and paying any price for it is not good process. Snowflake is a remarkable growth story, but I will not pay any price for a stock. Let me give you an example of a very well-publicized fund that has used this strategy over the past five years, and let's look at its returns. This is the ARK Innovation Fund, Kathy Woods' flagship fund. Now, if we look at it over the 
ARC is up 23% year to date uh, during the tech bounce. I guess good on Kathy here, or is it really? Uh, if we look in a second, we're going to look at the NASDAQ 100 over the past five years. Uh, it's surged nearly 28% year to date. So in fact, using this disruptor or growth at any price strategy, the fund has underperformed and in most cases, very significantly underperformed the NASDAQ 100, as we see right here. Even the S&P 500 has outperformed over the long term this fund. So one could just argue that the fund is, you know, and whoever's running it, Kathy Woods, is just not a good stock picker. And I might agree, but it also really points out just the folly of paying any price or any multiple for a given stock, no matter how great you think the business is. Yeah, well, still 22 times sales. And I recall, I mean, we've brought it up on the podcast before, but like the actual unicorns, you know, Google um, or I guess Alphabet, you know, do you remember, Ryan, what the highest price to sales it ever received? Um, Which ones? And, uh, you know, Alphabet or... Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think Amazon got to 40, Amazon. but that was only during the dot-com boom when it didn't have yes. any earnings. It was 42. So the, the other companies that you mentioned there, the Microsofts, uh, mm -hmm. the Alphabets of the world, basically, you know, never got to the price-to-sales metrics that these companies particularly lit, did during the pandemic boom yeah. uh, when they got to dizzying levels. But even when you're looking at 25 times, 23 times, which Snowflake is at right now, um, sales basis, I mean, they just briefly touch those levels if, if they, in fact, even get to them. Um, Snowflake has been well above that. And this is, again, at a 15% drop from where it was uh, just a, a week ago. It's just gotten to the levels where it's trading closer to its all-time low in terms of price to sales. But I mean, that is still a lofty valuation. It's not to say, that's not what we're saying, that this company is a bad business. It looks like a great business. I mean, the growth rate there is tremendous. But are you willing to pay any price for this stock? Well, you know, at 25, 23 times sales, uh, you're paying a high multiple. And if you put in 15 to 25 stocks in your portfolio that have those multiples and are basically have no mar margin for error. It's not good process in your portfolio from my, our perspective. And um, that is why, you know, we just, we shy away from names such as this that have such a high, uh, a low margin for error. Sorry is what I'm trying right. to say. And what was the price to sales <laughs> ratio 18 months ago when tech valuations were at their peak? I'm yeah, going to say 67 sales. Yeah, I, but I, I, because the earnings of or, or the sales have come up so incredibly, I mean, it was a hundred plus times, right? At, right? at one point, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's great to see it coming down, but I mean, the the multiple, the cash flows, you know, operating cash flow, but it's still, you know, it's investing, so it's still spending. There's not a ton huge of huge growth in earnings, a share price yeah. that's come down sixty five percent. And still overvalued, still a premium valuation. So that it tells you how overvalued it what was it was like eighteen months ago in the tech sector. Yeah, yeah, and and this is not to say again, Snowflake is the worst company out there. It's the process of putting this a company with this profile in terms of uh, cash flow, earnings, revenue, and the multiples off of that, making bets on fifteen to twenty five of these companies in your portfolio. 
for us isn't good process because you're you're banking on uh, companies with uh, limited margin for error, and, and then when they have an error, you can have a twenty percent decline in the stock in in you know a couple hours, right? So yeah, it's there are companies out there that are growing at good rates, you know, even thirty percent that you can buy for far more reasonable price. And that's what we're trying to look for. You don't want to buy the cheapest stock out there. And you want the business to be a great business. And perhaps Snowflake is. But to be honest, as an analyst, it's sometimes difficult to know what is the next Amazon, the next alphabet. <laughs> but I would rather buy a company at a reasonable price that I think is a very good business. Uh, in this case, particularly prior to this announcement, not trading at a reasonable price, at least over the next couple of years. You know, and it's interesting too. like this is a bit of a segue, but uh, I've been seeing a lot of headlines recently that Kathy Wood um, missed out on the recent bump that NVIDIA got uh, in its share price, which was about 25%. And the, the reason she cited the ARK fund actually sold NVIDIA was essentially because she thought that the forward earnings multiple of 50 times on NVIDIA was very high. So I just think it's, you know, kind of uh well i'm gonna say the justification from her there doesn't make any sense when you look at the other holdings in her fund like that that's the thing if you're going to use it in one case be consistent across Mm -hmm. your investment because you know you're we we might agree that uh, uh, a stock nvidia may be trading at a high multiple um is it justifiable or not but she's paying uh hundreds of times cash flow for other significant positions in the portfolio and then paying for companies with zero cash flow really in the portfolio. So if that is your methodology, stick to it, you know, but you know, if you're going to lean into the disruptor, then lean into the disruptor and, uh, you know, continue to own the company. If you think it's, you know, trading, trading at, uh, or it is going to be disruptor and will continue to grow over the long term, and the growth rate is high. It seems like picking and choosing there and not sticking to what you think you know best from my perspective. Agreed. All right, are we gonna move on to, Aaron's gonna look at uh, NVIDIA. Uh, NVIDIA Corporation, uh, been in the news a lot over the last week. It is uh, it is trading under the symbol NVDA on the NASDAQ, $390 share price, almost a trillion dollar market cap. And what they do is they're the world's top designer of high-end graphic processing units or GPUs. And these are used in markets like AI systems, data centers, uh, high-end PCs for gaming, and then also automotive systems. So last week, the company put out their Q1 financial results and the stock went wild. Uh, So far, it is up 27%. It was topping the news headlines in the stock market as well. A lot of talk about uh, this potentially being um, a new leg of growth for artificial intelligence companies. And then also a lot of talk on the other side saying that this symbolizes a bubble in AI. Um, but what makes this more almost uh, more impressive is that uh, it wasn't just last week. The company's share price had doubled before last week since the start of the year. So it's now up 175%. So what is driving this uh, incredible stock performance from NVIDIA? Well, they did put out their Q1 results and the Q1 results were pretty good, at least on a quarter over quarter basis. Um, 
on a quarter over quarter compared to the fourth quarter of last year, revenue up 19%, um, earnings per share non-GAAP up 24%. But year over year, all the metrics were actually down. Um, down revenue was down 13%, gross margins were down um, 0.3 points, and earnings per share were down 20%. So while these, these numbers look good from a potential recover, recovery perspective, uh, I don't know if they quite indicate why the company has had such a run over the last week. Um, but really, it, it comes down to not what the company is doing in the current quarter, but rather where the market sees the company going in the future. And what the market has determined is that is that NVIDIA is the, the current AI revolution stock. It is a favorite in this space right now. This makes a lot of sense. When we when we think about AI companies, most of the attention usually goes to software companies. I mean, you have OpenAI, not public, but they have software uh, that is being um, brought to the consumer market by Microsoft, which of course is public. Uh, many other software companies. We talked about Snowflake, which is a which is um, which is another company that is in AI. But Nvidia really, uh, th they're a hardware company. So what they do is they build these high-end graphic processing units. And this is really the backbone infrastructure of advanced AI systems. So uh, GPUs historically were used mostly in gaming. Um, they were also used in mining Bitcoin. So there was a bit of a boom during the Bitcoin craze. Um, but recently they've been used a lot in AI because AI systems require a lot of computation um, and GPUs are really fast. So this is where Nvidia is getting their growth from. And this is why there's so much excitement around the stock right now. Um, just recently, the company had company attended a conference in Taiwan. The CEO did a two hour presentation on what the opportunities are uh, and really laid out the groundwork for the company's future growth. And I just got I just grabbed a couple of the highlights from this from this presentation, as well as from the company's Q1 conference call. Um, one of the things, of course, new products, new services, they've announced an array of new products. Uh, this includes new robotic systems, um, more gaming capabilities, and also AI-powered um, systems as well. Um, they've also announced a, an AI supercomputer platform. So they're launching a supercomputer platform that is going to aid tech companies in developing new AI programs similar to ChatGPT. Uh, they talked about their evolution, how, how in the past, NVIDIA has really been more of a computer graphics chips manufacturer. Now it is focused on the AI revolution. Um, one of the things that really impressed the market was that the company's Q2 forecast was well beyond analyst estimates. And this is driven by demand for AI data center chips. I'm looking at the data center operations. This is another area of huge growth for the company. So they have technology which is transforming data center and this was really evident in their financial results with data data center revenue at a record of over four billion dollars and they've also announced a lot of new partnerships as well so they're partnering partnering with companies across different industries uh, to build ai infrastructure and this includes healthcare finance advertising just to name a few so really the market is looking forward here at a company that is growing in the ai space now i pulled up some analyst estimates on the company just to see where the valuation and the growth is sitting of course we're always going to take these with a grain of salt um we're not going to put too much credibility in them but based on what uh, what the expectations are from the company they don't seem to be too far off 
So um, last year, the company reported about 334 in earnings per share. And analysts are expecting that to more than double in the current year to about 733. So if we look at this company on a trailing basis, um, it's trading at over 100 times earnings, right? So that's obviously a very expensive valuation if you are at all a value or, or a price sensitive investor. Um, but if you're looking at current year earnings, that valuation drops down to about the 50 to 55 times earnings. And then analysts are estimating 980 in earnings uh, next year. So that would drop down to about 40 times earnings. So a um, lot of growth expectations right now for the company, uh, certainly at a premium valuation. But um, if they're able to hit these targets, the valuation starts to look more attractive. So our take on NVIDIA right now, we love the strong leadership position uh, in the GPU market. So they actually, if you look at just GPU market share, Intel still controls the lion's share of the market share. But um, where NVIDIA really shines is in the high performance GPUs. And these are the GPUs that are used, as I said, in AI systems. They're used in data centers, um, autonomous driving. So all of these huge growth areas, um, it, NVIDIA is present and a leader. They're really at the forefront right now of the AI race, but from a different perspective than what we're used to. Less focus on the software, more on the, on the hardware, on the infrastructure that supports AI. Uh, so this is rapidly growing. Overall, the fundamentals are impressive. The company is profitable, uh, has a history of growth. Um, just the valuation, of course, that's a premium valuation that we have on the stock, certainly on a historical basis. Now, if we're looking forward 40 times next year's earnings, assuming that the company is going to continue to grow, which you can't make that assumption necessarily, um, the valuation looks not so bad. It's certainly still a premium, um, but it is not an outrageously high valuation for a growth stock in an attractive market. But one thing to really keep in mind about NVIDIA is that historically, the company does have a history um, of cyclical fluctuations in market demand, and this impacts the financials. So unlike a lot of software as a service SaaS companies, it's not necessarily going to be that consistent year-over-year -year growth trend. Um, there's booms and busts in its market. Maybe this changes in the AI space, maybe it doesn't, but that's certainly something to take into, take into account. So our advice, it's not a recommendation right now, um, but we, we like the company, we like the positioning. You know, in terms of if somebody were going to buy it, I'd say, you know, if you want access to the space, you could chip away at it uh, slowly over time. But you'd want to take a longer term time horizon, five plus years. Um, it's already had a big move up in the near term. And uh, as I said, there are cyclical fluctuations in demand. So once uh, we see some weakness in the earnings, it may give the stock price will likely give some of that uh, some of that value back. Yeah, I think what you touch on in the end there is the cyclical nature of the business and, and the, um, you know, this isn't a SaaS based business. It is, you know, it's not a massive recurring business model. So you're paying a premium and uh, for a high quality business, but, you know, do you have a, it's going to be volatile is what I would say. And it continues to be a company that can really react to uh, on a quarterly basis to the earnings as they are released. So um, it's something to, you know, factor into your investment uh, in the company. Just know that there is going to be a high degree of volatility in the business. Yeah. And Brett's our resident semiconductor chip expert. So what say you? Yeah. So like I, I'd agree with him uh, overall. It's, 
in my opinion, it is quite, it's priced to perfection, I would say, at the current time. Because right now, they, like Aaron said, they effectively have a monopoly in the data center for discrete GPUs. And as well, when Aaron was saying before, uh, Intel holds uh, for graphics for consumer. That's somewhat, um, there's kind of two sectors. So there's integrated graphics, which Intel has, because it's in their CPU. But when you go to discrete graphics, it's split more between NVIDIA and then AMD and Intel is just starting to get into that space. But NVIDIA still holds a lion's share in that. So right now you're seeing their gaming sector, which was the previous craze, especially with the crypto last year, they were including in that. And that is where their cyclicality comes in. We've seen that drop off for the past year. So the previous, their highest revenue was about, and still is, but most likely won't be next quarter, was about $8 billion in revenue. And that was Q1 last year. That was off the back, really, of these crypto uh, sales for Ethereum mining, which is completely gone now. So we've seen that. And there's, I think we could end up seeing something similar with AI. I think it has more legs in the long run. But let's say we see a bunch, and I think this is the case, is we're seeing a bunch of companies who are just panicking to get into AI and they're heavily investing up front. So we could end up seeing these sales drop a year down the line. I don't think it's going to drop off like it did Ethereum because that was completely eliminated. But I think we could end up seeing if AI doesn't produce returns, especially in the one to two years, we start to see NVIDIA sales end up dropping because of that because you're not going to have continuous CapEx by these companies if they're not getting some sort of return like you covered last week zoom they're doing ai if they were investing whatever uh whatever 15 20 million i don't even know what it was and that would be 30 to 40 i think um of their uh dgx units now and that'd be the company they're kind of aiming at where it's not a full-on ai company but it's a company that wants to do ai that would be like a zoom type of company if they don't get returns so if zoom doesn't get returns why would they keep investing in it it doesn't make sense so when you're getting all these companies, all the in every single call I'm searching, I'm just searching Control F, which is the search function for Windows, and searching AI, you'll see normally a dozen references to AI in these sorts of companies. I think a lot of uh, shareholders are pressuring companies which are could have uh, interest in AI and profit from it in some degree, but they're really being pressured right now, and I think it's front-loaded uh, NVIDIA sales. So if it doesn't continue... and you're going to see people saying AI is a definitive future. But right now, it's a tool at best. It's not set in stone. And you're seeing really, we know it is a thing, but it is not guaranteed like some people are saying. And you're seeing that investment come into these companies like it is a for sure 100% happening. It's going to improve profitability for those companies. I, I yeah, no, I mean, that, that's a really good point. I think that there's always a tendency to overbuild Right. Mm -hmm. Like when you have when you have a theme like this and, you know, the more correct the theme is, I mean, there's no doubt that AI is going to be an integral part of our future. Um, but when you have everybody rushing and racing to try and build as much as they can, a lot of time not really even understanding it or having time to like properly assess the benefits, even, especially they don't seem to be as price sensitive exactly. in a competitive um market where everybody else is doing the same thing um that's also going to push the prices up for that for these so it, there is a tendency to overbuild um and we we see that i mean i remember watching a documentary on the the industrialization of the united states like that's what happened with the railroads like of course railroads were an absolutely critical part of infrastructure back then but because they were so critical 
they were overbuilt and then there was there was basically a bubble and a and a, and a bust in it. So yeah, I think you not can really... railroads and AI are the same thing, but I mean, it's still exactly understanding the, the history of it. It's it's the yeah, and not that cannabis is the same thing, but look at the overbuild there, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, exactly. With majorly hyped. I, I am, I'm fairly certain that AI will be more impactful to the human race than cannabis going forward, although Brennan might, hey, might no. disagree. <laughs> Just but, kidding. No, no. <laughs> but yeah, but, but you know, there's in anything. I mean, we saw it in 3D printing, for God's sake, in the market, right? Where there was a, you know, just a, a few 3D printing stocks. Like it was going to be the next greatest thing. And then the business becomes commoditized. And, you know, it yeah. just... Yeah, people don't completely understand it. They overhype it and yeah. put too much I into it. I think the best, uh, there, so uh, the two comparisons I've been seeing made is it's either Nvidia's iPhone moment or it's like Cisco in the dot-com bubble. And mm-hmm. I would honestly yeah. lean at this time or it's a Cisco moment, it, which it is still a good company. It has lasted through all these years, even after the boom in uh, 2000. They were supplying routers and equipment for... Uh, hardware uh, gear. Yeah, right? hardware yeah. gear yeah. for uh, the yeah. initial infrastructure picture of uh internet and i think we're seeing that with ai now versus the iphone moment which people are saying oh they're creating a new market is this new product um but apple is trading at uh significantly less of a premium at that point i think it was trading at at the start at under 15 times actual earnings 15 times actual earnings so you're talking about yeah complete and it never never got Mm -hmm. to it was never trading at 25 times 40 50 times sale exactly like and that's why i'm leading towards the cisco <laughs> moment and it the company overall over the last 20 years it still hasn't hit that all-time high again i don't think we're going to see that degree with nvidia but i could i think we are going to see a lot of volatility and you could potentially have in the next year where you have another double of the stock but then it comes cratering down and if you're that bank holder who buys at six or eight hundred dollars if that does occur you're probably going to be holding for quite a few years i think mm-hmm yeah, it's a good point. All right, uh, Brett, you're going to continue on now and touch on uh, something we've seen quite a bit uh, of late and uh, for a number of years now, the kind of the promotion of options trading get rich as a get rich quick scheme and for retail investors generally. Uh, you're going to just touch on, you know, a, a 101 on options and as well as, you know, looking at in context of I mean, I know Brennan see them. I've seen them. The well simple ads here that have been come up lately uh, in terms of promoting options to the average investor, whether or not this is good or not. Yeah. So uh, many investors, especially retail investors, I, I think really find options alluring. They're often marketed as like a quick get rich quick scheme to some degree, and obviously that brings people in. You can get rich overnight. You'll see on. Most recently with NVIDIA, you'll see on Wall Street bets and on Instagram and other places where they're getting these 3,000, 5,000% gains overnight. Obviously, that's going to ball, ball people in, but I will say right now, those people are gambling. Do not do that. But Simple has really been pushing their ads for their options trading program, which they previously, I couldn't find the post, but they've previously, this was five or six years ago now, really were like, we're not doing that. We don't want to touch it. And now they've obviously had a change of mind. But the company as a whole, they're really known for their low commission, simple trading platform and at their mobile application. So, but they are now advertising $2 per contract option trading for U.S. securities and saying they have made options trading simple and it is quick to sign up. Since Wealth Simple really targets retail investors, I thought I would just go through the basics of options, why they can increase risk substantially and a quick critique of Wealth Simple. 
first off, just the basics of options tradings. If you are familiar with options, this is really for you just to give people an idea if they aren't familiar with options at all as a concept. First off, the options come in really two basic types. You have your calls and your puts. If you buy a call, you have the right, but not the obligation to purchase the underlying, in this case, a stock at a certain price known as the strike price, but not the obligation to do that. So you don't need to do it. You get the choice of buying that price or not. And puts are the right to sell, but not the obligation. So the general uh, theme is if you want, if you think a stock is going to go up in the most simple form, you would buy a call. But if you think the stock price is going to go down, you would buy a put. When you purchase an option, you pay what is known as an option premium, which is just simply the price of the option contract. The price of the option contract is determined by the following factors. The price of the underlying, which is in this case, most likely the stock which you're looking at. The strike price, which is the price which you can either buy or sell the underlying at, the time to maturity, the implied volatility of the underlying stock, so how much it's changing day over day, month over month, week over week, and so on. And interest rates, as well as dividend expectations. For a call option, the lower the strike price, the higher the premium. And for a put, it is reversed, so the, the higher the strike price, the higher the premium. And for both, the longer the maturity and the higher the implied volatility, the higher the premium for both calls and puts. Whereas for a call option, price is positively correlated to interest rates and negative correlated with dividend. And then the opposite is true for puts. Option contracts are normally a the underlying for stocks. So it's normally a hundred stocks. So if you see a quote for a $10 option and purchase one contract, you actually pay $1,000 to purchase the option. The exact pricing of options can be broken down into Greeks, which are just notations for the equation of how option premiums change to certain factors. I'm not really going to get into them because that would be not even just a lecture. It would be a whole course. But as a starting point, if you really are interested into looking into options, look into the five main Greeks, Delta, Theta, Veta, Gamma, and Rho. But in simple terms, just why are options so risky? The answer is leverage. A real world example using a short dated option, which tend to have higher leverage. NVIDIA is trading at $389, and we're going to use a strike price of $387.5 with a June 23 call, so next week from the time of recording. And that option currently trades at a price of $1045. These are just from Friday close, just for reference. And this would result in a leverage of over 20 times. So you can multiply the impact of the price change by 20 times. Just to give you an idea of how much options fluctuate in price, the option price ranged from 625 to 1220 during Friday's session, while the stock price only changed from 375 to 392. So a vast difference in how much you can leverage your wealth. Now, circling back to Wealth Simple, I have a couple issues with their advertising. First off, $2 a contract is not exactly cheap. Cheaper options do occur, and that was a pun intended. But for uh for example, interactive brokers, they offer US options for 65 cents each. So you're not exactly getting a deal here, but that's just me being cheap. And I, I'm i going to point that out just because they're really advertising that point. And as well, they have $2 per contract, but banks offer cheaper per contract, but then they also have a flat fee. Most of the banks are about $1.25 per contract, and then they charge about a $10 commission on top of that. But if you're buying a ton of contracts, at that point, it ends up being cheaper to be actually with these banks, which they're saying, oh, they're ripping you off. 
Second, which is honestly the much bigger issue, is the risks are just not emphasized enough within ads and then the initial app and then on their landing page from the ads. While Simple only provides a very brief description like I did before, which is just not enough to start trading options. You should not be trading options just off that limited information. It's a starting point, but by no means even close to that point. So on the landing page, they advertise option trading five minutes which for the average person who stumbled on their ads from social media, Instagram, Reddit, that sort of thing, where they have an advertising, I've seen them at quite a few places otherwise, where Facebook as well. If that is your first introduction to options, that is just reckless advertising by Wealthsimple. And like all ads, of course, they're focused on the great benefits of options, but in reality, options are just financial tools and they can be used improperly if not understood. I will say though, to Wealthsimple's benefit, they do provide more information on their options on their website. But as Wealthsimple is effectively an app at this point, it's not, there's some access on the website, but not much. I would bet most people who are seeing these ads and then signing up are not seeing any additional information. In one of their posts, even on their own website, which of course they're not going to show in their ads, retail traders lost 2.1 billion in option trading between November of 2019 and June of 2021. But displaying that fact wouldn't be good advertisement, so they're not going to show it up front. So if you are even remotely interested in options, don't rush in. Take your time. Understand they are not directly an investment tool for many people. They are a trading tool. There are investment strategies with them, covered calls, leaps, and other options. But doing just simple option trading is not an investment, especially if you don't understand them. Awesome. Um. One thing that I'd like to add too is for people to understand that options are basically just insurance or essentially like insurance. And what these ads are, are you know, promoting are for people to buy options. And just like, you know, any of the large insurance companies, the house always wins essentially. So it's, it's good to understand that the seller of those options always has um, a little bit of the, the benefit or um, the odds are in their favor, uh, that that specific call option won't get in the money or, you know, put option, uh, that they're selling. So that is something to keep in mind. Um, you know, that whenever you're selling an option, technically you're acting as like an insurance provider. Uh, whereas when you're buying, you're like, you know, getting insurance coverage yeah. essentially. I will add on that is Wealthsimple only does offer long calls and puts at the moment, but I'm guessing just from their wording on their uh, website, they're going to introduce those more complex options, which do have some great uh, advantages to them, but they are in some cases much, much more risky because you open yourself up to infinite losses. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we talk to many, many investors at conferences at our own events uh, on an annual basis. A number of them, a good portion of them have at times a hard time wrapping around their heads around just investing in a stock, what that actually is, what you're actually getting when you invest in a stock. Now, putting a derivative on this um, is, is about as clear as mud. If you don't understand these and understand options, um, easily understand them, it's not something the average retail investor should be doing. So the promotion of these with no real look at the downside other than some really small print saying they're more cost effective than investing in stocks, that's a bit disingenuous to me. So, I, I mean, I, I just, you know, it, 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 you know, 
if you're going to use this strategy, like Brett said, it is uh, not investing. It is speculating. It is a trade. And, uh, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing it, period. I mean, yeah. that's the most retail investors shouldn't be using options, especially like you said, like they are tough to understand, you know, particularly as to- part of a long term investment, building a portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's really just not it's trading as opposed to yeah. investing long term in a portfolio. So, I mean, that's what we're talking about. So we're talking about two different worlds here, essentially. Mm-hmm. Aaron, it's any even- thoughts on that or? You're muted. You're but- muted. <laughs> that's okay. Um, Aaron's, was, Aaron's a stick figure again. That's I was happened. even going to relate it to just like a company too. Like you want a company's, you know, business, uh, to be like easy to understand. You know, the last thing that we want to do is invest in some company that has this specific technology that I can't understand. You know, it's again, it's don't invest in what you don't know. Anyways. True. So, All right, Brennan, let's finish off the show you're going to look at marvel technologies kind of ties into the ai theme we were talking about earlier um stock that actually had a decline in revenues in the last quarter but the stock has done well this year this, again they mentioned ai a number of times i believe yes. in their in their call last week yes they did um so this actually was a question that came in from one of our uh, clients in our u.s chat session uh in april um, so yeah, I thought that we'd you know cover the stock again after it had a recent bump here. So Marvel Technology Inc. (MRVL) on the Nasdaq, currently trading at a price of about sixty-five dollars and fifty cents, has a five point six billion dollar market cap and a dividend yield of about 04 percent. So the company provides data infrastructure semiconductor solutions spanning the data center core to network edge, and the company develops and scales complex system on a chip architectures integrating analog, mixed signal, and digital signal processing functionality. So essentially what that means, the company offers a portfolio of Ethernet solutions, single or multiple core processors, uh, custom application specified integrated circuits, uh, and so on. Um, So essentially it is, you know, a hardware company. Now, year to date, the stock is up about 73%. And just in the last week, it is up uh, 46%. And let's take a look at what is driving the share price. So number one, following the release of its Q1 2024 results, the CEO, Matt Murphy, commented that AI is acting as a great growth driver for the company, stating that AI has emerged as a key growth driver for Marvell, which we are enabling with our leading network connectivity products and emerging cloud-optimized silicon platform. While we are still in the early stages of our AI ramp, we are forecasting our AI revenue in fiscal 2024 to at least double from the prior year and continue to grow rapidly in the coming years. And to put this into perspective, in their conference call, they noted that in fiscal 2023, they estimated that their AI revenue was approximately $200 million. So if they expect it to double uh, from that 200 million to at least 400 million, that would be adding an additional 200 million in revenue for the year, or on a quarterly basis would equate to about 50 million in additional revenue. So that would mean that overall, this growth in AI should contribute to about or to under 4% growth per quarter. And again, that's based off of Q1 2024 revenue, which was essentially at a, a low. Now, He also commented that revenue growth is expected to accelerate in the second half of this fiscal year, accompanied by gross and operating margin expansion 
which will be good if the company can achieve. Now, number two, uh, the company's Q1 2024 results did come in better than management's Q1 revenue guidance of $1.3 billion, and it also beat analyst estimates, uh, even though Q1 net revenue declined 9% year over year and non-GAAP diluted income per share declined 40% year over year. So let's take a look at those actual results here again for Q1 of 2024. Now, net revenue came in at $1.322 billion, a decline of 9%, like I just said. Cash flow from operations was $208.4 million, an increase of about 7% year over year. Gap EPS was a loss of $0.20, cents, which was essentially flat year over year. And adjusted EPS was down 40% uh, to $0.31 cents per share. And the company now has net debt of about $3.6 billion and a trailing net debt to EBITDA multiple of about 2.4 times. And as you can see on the table, I have also included the company's Q2 2024 financial guidance, which at the midpoint has revenue at about $1.33 billion, which would represent a decline of about 12% year over year. And GAAP EPS is expected to be $0.16, cents, or sorry, a loss of $0.16, cents, and adjusted EPS is expected to be $0.32, cents, uh, which again would be a decline of about 44% year over year. And using the company's Q2 uh, 2024 guidance on a forward basis, the business trades at about 40 times adjusted earnings. And if we take into consideration the company's debt on a trailing enterprise value to cash flow from operations basis, the stock trades at just over seven times uh, cash flow. So um, let's just quickly look here to see how the company is adjusting its net income. And realistically, the primarily uh, or the primary thing that I wanted to point out here is that it is adding back uh, significant stock-based compensation. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that to people. And finally, just to conclude on Marvell, now the stock is trading at 40 times adjusted earnings, while revenue and EPS are actually down year over year. The company has a net debt position of 3.6 billion and a net debt to EBITDA multiple of. Uh, 2.4 times, which I do believe is sustainable, but it's getting up there. Now, the company believes that AI will fuel growth going forward, which may be true, but in my opinion, the anticipated growth for fiscal year 2024 isn't justifying that 40 times adjusted earnings multiple. And I really think that the recent move in the share price is a bit unjustified and being led by the hype around AI. Now, if I'm just going to add one more thing, like Aaron was talking about with NVIDIA, is this company is generally cyclical. You know, if we look at historical financials, uh, we saw the company post uh, 3.6 you know, billion in revenue in 2015. You know, we saw that come down to about 2.3 billion in 2017, came back up to, uh, you know, about 2.7 billion in 2020. And now we have seen it start to take a bit of a tear or, you know, the growth has been on a bit of a tear for revenue. But again, we have seen uh, revenue and the business tend to be cyclical over time. Yeah, 40 times adjusted earnings for what's a cyclical stock and, and with debt as well. I mean, 2.4 net debt to EBITDA, that's not outrageous, but it's certainly, I mean, there's leverage there, right? It's not like mm -hmm. it's a cash rich company like we see. With some with some of these other you know software uh, Nvidia as well I believe is cash rich, um, so it's uh, I mean to me I, I don't see the I, I I don't see the value here. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that it's just, you know, been the recent pop has been driven by hype. Um, like we were talking before, you know, I just command F on a Mac to like just find. And uh, there was, I don't know, probably 70 times that the company referenced AI in their conference call too. So, you know, there there's a lot of companies right now that are jumping on the uh, the AI bandwagon. And I mean, this is kind of even just an AI themed uh, podcast episode. Um, but yeah, I think that that's primarily the reason. And, uh, yeah. We yeah. I mean, I know we're looking forward, but you said an 8% decrease in revenues and, uh, the stock is up significantly this year. Again, we're looking, you know, the market's looking forward on the company, but, uh, you know, it's trading at premium multiples. The industry has cyclicality to it. Um, I think it's trading at significant premiums right now off of some AI hype. Again, this is not saying that AI is not going to change the world. Likely it is, but is this going to be sustainable? Is 40 times earnings uh, a good, and that's adjusted earnings, a reasonable price to pay for this company, which has historic cyclicality? Um, Time will tell, but likely not at this point. All right, that's going to end off our show, I believe, for this week. Does anybody have anything else to say on those companies, or are we good? No, I think we're good. All right, well, continue to smash that subscribe button. Last week's uh, YouTube show had record viewership, so that's great to see. Uh, And if you're listening to this on iTunes, rate and review us there. We'd love to hear a review, only good ones, of course. But, uh, you know, rate and review us on there. Like it on there as well, and we'll continue if you got you want us to answer a question for your stock our take, send it into us, any of our socials, or just email them in if you want to do it that way as well. Thank you very much and profitable investing. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.